Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Video Store Nightmares, the podcast where we discuss the strange, the bizarre, and the blood-sucking films of the VHS era. Tonight, we're talking about a true classic that Leland has somehow, until now, inexplicably not seen, um, and that is 1985's Fright Night. My name is Luke, and I'm joined by Leland. Listeners, you can find 1985's Fright Night somewhere on streaming uh not for free unfortunately but uh, it is definitely for rent on a lot of different platforms so being being your first watch did it feel like you were were seeing a long lost classic or was it like overhyped it it doesn't feel like a long lost classic yeah no i'm sorry <laughs> i i like this movie a lot but Watching it this time, like with a more critical eye, there's definitely some issues with it. Um, but I do really like it. And it's partly probably like nostalgia goggles because I've been watching this movie for a long time. Um, and and I like Tom Holland, the writer director. Uh, he also directed Child's Play. I like Child's Play a lot more than this film. Yeah, I, I mean, partly he wrote this film. This was his first film um, that he wrote and directed, and he did not write Child's Play. Child's Play was written by Don Mancini, who's, you know, written every Child's Play incarnation since then, except for the remake. But no, uh, this was this was his first time writing and directing. And I think for a first time film, it's pretty impressive. Oh, yeah. For a first film, this is what more could you want? Especially, I think, the effects like for the not just for the time, but still today, like I was blown away by the effects, even watching it this time. That is the best reason to watch this film. Like 40 years later, these practical effects have aged extremely well. And and if you want evidence of that, just watch the remake and you can see the same <laughs> story told with CGI. How bad? Now, the, the remake's not terrible. Um, it just felt kind of unnecessary to me. Like it, it's pretty much a, it's very similar to this movie. The only real difference I remember is in the remake. Evil Ed is kind is the one who believes in vampires and like talks Charlie into believing. Um, Charlie is the skeptic that remains a skeptic, like much, much further into the movie. Um, so that kind of changes things, but otherwise they're very similar movies. No, so no blob mixed up. No, nothing like that. That's unfortunate. Colin Farrell does a pretty good job playing the vampire. Although I prefer Chris Sarandon's in this in this movie. Hey, am I supposed to recognize this guy from anything else? Uh, he's also in Child's Play. He's the cop in Child's Play. Oh. He he's probably most famous for being the voice of Jack Skellington in Nightmare Before Christmas. Okay. All right. Yeah, but he's been in tons of stuff. Um, I like him as an actor, especially here. I think he does. I mean, he he has a really juicy part that he can play with, and I think he does a really good job. I can imagine this role just kind of called for like tall, handsome white man. It doesn't. It's not really a complicated role here. No, but I think that there are moments where. And, and we'll get into this, I'm sure. But there are moments where he's genuinely like seductive. Like I could see how somebody would be enchanted by him. 
Um, I think he pulls that off really effectively. I I don't I don't care so much for his the version of him that's like half bat when he turns into like his monster self. Uh, that it, it, he he has a hard time acting through that. Uh, I would say it's probably the worst special effects. How how do you like at the end where Amanda Bierce gets that big monster mouth for no reason? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's great. So, I, you know, I've seen like that kind of large monster mouth on otherwise normal looking people in different types of media before. This must have been the first one that inspired it. I think it looks really good. And it, it's funny. There's a there's a documentary about the making of this movie. You can watch it on Screenbox. It's called um, You're So Cool, Brewster, the story of Fright Night. And um, they said that this was kind of a last minute effect, that they just came up with it at the last second and like built something real quick. And all the special effects people thought like it looked shoddy and it was never going to pass. But once it was on camera, it looked good. Hmm. So, um, but it's kind of iconic. I mean, it's on the cover, right? Like it's on the the poster. So I think it's one of the more iconic images from the movie. Not that it really matters. This isn't really a movie you watch for the plot. At least I hope this isn't a movie most people watch for the plot. Uh, you, You know from the front of the box, like I have never watched this movie until now, but I am familiar with the box. You know from the box she is going to turn into a vampire like right off the bat yeah like there's no there's no doubt in your mind that as soon as you see this character you're like vampire but when and it's the very fucking end (laughs) so so let's talk about her uh amanda beers um playing amy peterson uh she is probably best known as marcy darcy on married with children which I have a really hard time separating from this role. Like I have a really hard time accepting her in this part because I just think of her from married with children. Hold up. I gotta, I gotta, I gotta look this. You didn't recognize Marcy Darcy. I, I did not. No, I did not. I did not put that together. Yeah, it's definitely her. Hey, uh, yeah. Now that I'm looking at them next to each other. Yes. So I what what do you think of her character, her performance? Very 80s. This whole movie is like disgustingly 80s. It it is it's dated in some ways. Very um, dated. I mean it it could have been more dated, right? Like we've we've seen some shit that's from the 60s and 70s that just has so much outdated gender stereotypes in it, but <laughs> there's that trope that we've seen before where there's the boyfriend who just wants to have sex with his girlfriend for the first time ever. And that's like the most important thing in the world. And the girl's never into it. And somehow this is like a major fulcrum of frustration in the plot. Like why is this such a big thing in the eighties? I don't know. I think it was just, I think it was just a plot device that was easy to hang your movie on. Right. Because you're dealing with like young couples. Everyone wants to see them get together. They're like likable. And it, it's it's something it's a wrench to put in the relationship. That's easy. That That's how I think about it. Well, 
her, her performance is fine you know it's it's an 80s like horror comedy she does what she's supposed to do as far as her character is concerned it's a little annoying yeah it, this this movie has the problem that uh, is definitely not specific to fright night where like the friends of the of the protagonist hear what is going on and kind of just like take their word for it you know these things these supernatural and science sci-fi events are just happening and they take their word for it uh-huh you as the audience maybe don't criticize that right out the gate because you know it's real because you're watching the character observe these phenomenon but there's absolutely no reason why their friends should be going along with anything the protagonist says i think this movie does a pretty good job of like making them doubtful and only having like gradually having them believe mm. like they they bite they first they fall for it like hook line and sinker and then they have reservations and then they hatch the plan to like kind of break their to break what's the guy's name i'm sorry uh, which guy the, the main guy jerry dandridge jerry dandridge that's the actor's name? No, that's the character's name. The actor is Chris Dandridge? Sarandon. Dandridge. Yeah. Wait, that's not the vampire. Oh, not the vampire. Not the vampire. The protagonist. Oh, his name is Charlie Brewster. Wait, is the vampire the real protagonist? No, I just thought that's who you're asking about. No, may maybe he is the real protagonist because he's just doing his own thing as a vampire and then these meddling kids come along and, and fuck with his shit start committing burglary yeah this movie is way too classic in its structure to be doing anything subversive like that no not at all um but no the main character is charlie brewster he's played by william ragsdale in probably the most forgettable part of the movie to me this man's been in nothing else right oh he's been in tons of stuff he's still acting Oh man, I don't recognize him from anything. No, he put he plays like small parts in lesser known movies. He's not like a big successful movie star, but if from his IMDb, it seems like he's he's made a career for himself out of acting. Mm. I think he's well cast, like he looks the part, and I think he fits the character, and I think his performance is fine. Um it's just it's kind of boring and verging on overacted to me. He's my least favorite cast member. There is nothing remarkable about this this guy. Like, nothing. Like, I have a hard time even understanding why Amy is interested in him. Like, she's really devoted to him, but I, I'm not sure why. Well, one, the script calls for it, right? Like, right. The the writer's a man and he he likes girls so you know the main character is a man and he likes girls that's how it works right but but also this this is before online dating you couldn't be that choosy back then you know you kind of were just limited to his geographically around you at the time uh, especially in high school i guess especially that's in high yeah. school but <laughs> no no social media to fall back on to shop around well Speaking of his friends, let, let's talk about my absolute favorite character, which is Evil Ed, played by Stephen Jeffries. I think uh, he pretty much makes the movie. I like the character. I don't like the way it's acted. Really? Yeah. 
you know, the first time I ever watched it, I didn't really care for it or I remember not really caring for it. But every time I've watched it, it grows on me more and more. And I think it's more and more of like a great performance. Well, I should say his acting as far as like, you know, showing, you know, feelings and emotions and fears and, and hopes, like all that is fine. But man, this kid's voice is so annoying. I hate his line delivery. <laughs> I love it. I really do. <laughs> what? Clyde Evil, I haven't got time to explain. Just tell me what to do to protect myself. Uh, very funny, Brewster. Clyde Evil, please, I'm not kidding. Just tell me what to do. Don't call me evil anymore. Why should I help you anyway? Look, look I've got eight bucks. You help me and, and it's yours. Uh, well... Far be it from me to turn down a fool's money. <laughs> uh, now, where and when do you expect the vampire to attack? In my bedroom tonight. So, yeah, I really like Stephen Jeffrey's line delivery. Like, he doesn't talk like that in real life. It, it was a decision made for the character. Oh, no, it seems very deliberate. I did not at all think that he was being himself. Yeah. Um, I will say I've only seen him in one other thing. He is the main character in 976 Evil, and uh, he plays a very similar character who also becomes like demonic and evil. So his range is I, I don't have great evidence of his range, but I really like him in this movie. What a character to get typecast as. Well, he uh, he has spent most of his career making gay porn. Oh, so that is the direction his career went. Okay. After his few forays into horror. Yeah, rock and roll. Yeah. So um, let's talk about the final like major star, and then we'll play the trailer. Uh, and that's Roddy McDowell, who plays Peter Vincent. Um, Peter Vincent is like our public access Vincent Price character. He's <laughs> named after Vincent Price, right? And originally... Yeah. Originally, they wanted Vincent Price to play the part, but he was in really bad health at that time. What do you think of Roddy McDowell? I wish I had something more constructive to say than he fit the role. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think he's great. Um, like, I mean, he's he's a beloved actor. He's been in tons of stuff. Um, I, I'm amazed they got him for this movie, although I think his career was in kind of a downturn at this point. Um but, uh, yeah, he totally fits the part. And I think if they had gotten Vincent Price, it wouldn't have worked as well. Because, like, and Roddy McDowell has pointed this out in interviews, like, Vincent Price is too good. Like, the whole point is that he's a bad actor and a bad TV host. Like, he's not, he's not, he doesn't have Vincent Price's talent. You don't think Vincent Price could have turned it down a notch? played like a very meta performance it's hard because you're all at that point right by 1985 you already knew who vincent price was like he was so firmly established i think in the national consciousness but anyway i think roddy mcdowell does a great job I, what, what else what else has he been in because i don't recognize him he is most famous um for being in the planet of the apes films playing apes 
okay well that, that explains more of that um yeah but anything else <laughs> but he's been in he's been in hundreds of things um as it, as people right <laughs> yeah as people as well <laughs> <laughs> but i think uh he's definitely been in some movies that i want to cover in this podcast like he was in Laser Blast, which was Charlie Band's um, one of his I, first I, movies. I do not want to watch Laser Blast again. Laser Blast Please. is so good. Please, <laughs> we'll see. We'll see if it ever comes up. Um, uh, someday I might subject Leland to Laser Blast, and he's I've also seen it. <laughs> he's also in uh, Cult of the Damned, which I also really want to do at some point. Mm, okay, I remember that. I remember you throwing that that title out at one point, but yeah. Yeah, sorry. I, I I'd imagine a lot of people are listening to this for like nostalgia value, and I just don't have that with this film. Yeah. Well, let's play the trailer, and then we'll talk about uh, more of the story. What would you do if you accidentally discovered the house next door was occupied by something not human? Something horrifying. Something unspeakably evil. No one believes you. Mom, I didn't have a nightmare. Not your mom. They did kill a girl over there. Not your girlfriend. Charlie, is this some sort of a trick to get me back? Not even the police. Look, I know it's crazy. I know that, but look, Lieutenant! It knows that you know. You'll do anything to protect yourself. But it will do anything to protect its secret. This could be the night of your life. Fright Night. Coming to your neighborhood this summer. It is so rare that we get to watch like a normal ass trailer on this show. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I guess we're going to have a few forays now and then into more mainstream fare. It feels like a luxury almost. <laughs> like a well-crafted trailer? Yeah. I mean, it still has a lot of the stuff from the end just tacked in there just to get you in the door, but at least it was well-composed and under four minutes. <laughs> Th- this movie was a, a really a surprise hit. Like, the studio did not expect it to be a success. They didn't put very much money into promoting it. Um they they just didn't see it as a big deal and uh it ended up being very profitable but I feel, it, like, that's, I feel like that's that's a really common like, story for horror films yeah i think that's true like but i think jaws had the same issue i'm trying to think of specific examples outside of jaws and i can't come up with any but i i've heard that story so many times i mean films 
like, you know, you have films like Halloween and Texas Chainsaw Massacre that were really cheap and somehow still made it big and catapulted the careers of the people involved and were like, you know, real independent hits. This isn't really that. It's still a studio production. It was it still was made with millions of dollars. Um, so you, you I'm, I'm talking specifically about a studio pumping money into a horror production expecting very little and then getting like surprised from the results yeah so um, it it, the, it it's not like the same story with as if like they just made a movie cheap yeah and then it just happened to work out really well because i don't know there just wasn't um there wasn't the low expectations I mean, I think it's really cool that this movie even got made by a studio and like people put money behind it because you've got a a first time writer director, right? And how many people get that opportunity to to be trusted with like a studio movie? Well, surely the director had some sort of rapport or studio connections that let him get this kind of control. Yeah, I really don't know. I I mean, it might have just been the strength of his script. Um I don't remember from the documentary or anything how, like, this initially started. He started as an actor, and then he started writing screenplays, and then he probably made enough social connections from that to, you know, smooth his way up to being able to direct his own feature film. Well, I remember now, in the documentary they talk about this, um, he had just written the script for Psycho 2 which uh, turned out to be another like big surprise hit. Um, and so he had a lot of cachet from that. But I'm still surprised they gave him the directing gig. I have never bothered watching Psycho 2 because I just figured it was a half-ass cash grab. Are you, are you about to blow me away? It's a fairly decent slasher movie. It, it's, not like, um, it's not like the first one at all. It's a completely different kind of movie. But all of them are watchable. I think there's four. They're all decent. That is so surprising. I mean, they all have Anthony Perkins in them. How? Is this a prequel? Is that is that how they pull it off? And no, he's released from an insane asylum, like, you know, 15 years later or something. Oh, wow. Yeah, okay. 22 years after the first film. Yeah. Okay. But anyway, let's get back to Fright Night. Um, so this movie starts off with our main character, Charlie Brewster, noticing that uh, the people moving in next door are moving in a coffin and being an a devotee of horror movies and especially vampire movies. He automatically knows that his new neighbor is a vampire or at least suspects it. Right. Is this guy really like a horror movie savant? Because I just figured he watched this one show. This one late night vampire show, and that was the extent of his knowledge. Because otherwise, why would he have to fall back on evil's advice on, you know, fighting mythological monsters and whatnot? I, I may be wrong, and maybe I'm reading all of this into it, and there aren't actually signs of it in the movie. But in my imagination, the only reason he and Evil Ed are friends to the extent they're friends is that they share this interest in horror movies. Um, and I think that him staying up late watching Fright Night, uh, the TV show in the movie, 
is just an example. I mean, we don't see him watching other things, but I assumed that he was like into horror stuff. You have to make the assumption because his room is just as boring as he is. Yeah, his room is incredibly boring. Like no posters, no nothing. No. And it's not like he has, you know, fascist parents or anything. He's no single mom raising this chump. And she's like very lax. Like she doesn't she doesn't care if the if him and his girlfriend are in his room alone with the door closed. Like she she seems cool. Yeah, she's very chill. Um, I mean, this is one of those movies where you have like a single parent in like the late 80s able to afford like a two-story house with a with a night shift job. Yeah, she she conveniently says at the beginning of the movie, like, oh, I'm switching to the night shift in a few days. And uh that that's what allows Charlie to do all of his exploring and endangerment during the night. I'm actually not crazy about the writing in this movie, but I really liked that setup. Like, here's a very valid excuse to have her out of the house as opposed to we'll just pretend she's not home for whatever reason. Right. It, it, it It's rational, right? Like, it makes sense. And I really like her performance. She's really funny. Um, she plays the character kind of like ditzy, I guess. Um, what is her name? I don't know if ditzy is the right word. Her name is Dorothy. Carefree. Her name is Dorothy Fielding. She's played, uh, or the actress's name is Dorothy Fielding. Um, I think she's, I'm trying to remember, there's one moment in particular where like, oh, when, when Charlie wakes her up during the night and like her door is jammed shut because Jerry jammed it shut to trap her there. Um, and, Charlie's like, oh, I just had a nightmare. Like, don't worry about it. She's like, oh, I had a nightmare, too. And she tells him about it. And it's really dumb. It's like she she was in the supermarket and didn't have her clothes or something. Okay, yeah, you know, you're right. She is ditzy. Yeah, she's definitely ditzy. Um, I I retract. I retract my statement carefree. But it's it's really well performed, I think. And um. They actually make that moment where they're talking about the dream and she like screams out in in uh, at remembering that she had this nightmare. Uh, it's actually kind of a jump scare, or at least I think they want it to be. Yeah, they wanted it to be. Yeah, I, I don't think any of this movie is actually scary. But if you like like the 80s, if you like 80s effects and if you like the archetypal, stereotypical 80s like movie plot, you'll enjoy this. Like, it doesn't have to work. It's so archetypal that the archetypes work for themselves. You know what I mean? It's so archetypal that you know by the end of the film, all the main characters are going to be okay. Well, the ones you're supposed to like are going to be okay. Well, so in the original script... um. Peter Vincent was killed and the studio was like, no, you can't kill him. Like he's too likable person. Like you've got to keep him in the movie. So then they, they wrote an ending where in the final scene where Charlie and Amy are watching fright night on TV, Peter Vincent was going to turn into a vampire on TV and they nixed that idea as well. 
And so we ended up getting that the happy ending for all that we get. But originally he was supposed to die. I just realized is this first name Peter after like Peter Cushing? Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. Peter Cushing, Vincent Price. Yeah. Jammed gotcha. together. Uh-huh. No, I guess the only person who like doesn't make it out of this movie is Evil Ed. Well, and the vampire. And everyone right. works for the vampire. It, you know, I've never understood, and I, I know I'm jumping ahead, but at the end of the movie, when they finally kill Jerry Dandridge, it frees... Spoilers. <laughs> yeah. Pe- people have seen this movie. They know. Amy returns to being human, like her vampire curse goes away. But we're led to believe that evil Ed is still evil at the end. Is there a sequel to this movie? Yeah, but it doesn't have him in it. No? Okay. No. It's a total... It, it, it still has Charlie and Peter Vincent in it, and it's about um, Jerry Dandridge's sister coming to town for revenge. Is she also a vampire? Yeah. How is she also a vampire? I, I think it's like a hereditary thing. Oh. Wait, what? <laughs> I think in the I think in the movie it's like a hereditary thing where you're born a vampire. Wait, so it's there's baby vampires? I think so. In the Fright Night universe? That's the way I understood it. There's a there's a one-off line in in Fright Night that made me believe that there was that this was not like a genetic thing because vampirism is Historically, not gen- genetic in any sort of way. Well, the made a vampire usually against your will. The what the movie insinuates, and maybe again, I'm I'm reading something into it that's not there. There's a difference between Jerry and the vampires he makes. Right, he's more powerful than them, and if he dies, they all turn back supposedly, and. He says a few times, like about a crucifix, you know, in order for that to work on me, you have to have true faith because, whereas evil Ed, he gets burnt easily um, because he's weak. And I think that the strong, like head vampires, like Jerry, are born vampires. And then, like, their underlings are made vampires. So there's absolutely no indication in this film that that's the case. I mean, there's definitely a power hierarchy. Right. Um, There is definitely precedence for like vampire power levels amongst different uh, like mythologies for vampires. So I buy all that. But I'm not buying that there are like natural born vampires. Uh, Maybe the sequel goes into this and I'm forgetting it. Uh, It's been a long time since I've seen the sequel. I don't remember it well, but maybe this is revealed then. I'm not sure. I di- I didn't consider like the crucifix working on evil and then, you know, Peter then tries the same shit against the big honcho vampire and it doesn't work. That did right. not that did not jump out to me when I was watching this for the first time. Yeah, I mean, I've seen it a bunch, so um But you know, like the fact that you need to have true faith, right, in order for this this shit to work. Are we then assuming that like Jesus Christ and God are all legitimately existent in the world of Fright Night? 
I I don't know. I mean, the movie obviously doesn't go that far. Um, no, but that's the whole point of having faith, right? Well, I guess so, because the the crucifix and holy water in this universe are both, you know, poisonous to vampires. Um, so I guess there has to be some like force of good that's on the opposite end of the spectrum. Yeah, there's a heaven, there's a hell. There's like angels and shit out there. Yeah, I guess so. So at the at the end of the film, does Charlie engage in in premarital sex with his girlfriend? Is that like the happy ending? I think so. So by that by that point he is he is then damned, right? The crucifix should never work for him again. I don't know how like I don't I'm not that familiar with Catholic <laughs> theology. Like I'm sure there are some rules in there that that work it out, but do you do you think like the beginning of Fright Night 2, they they have to go to confession before they go fight the vampires? Oh, she's not in Fright Night 2. Um she no, has a boy. new girlfriend. Oh shit. Yeah. Well, some days it'd be like that. Yeah, so they weren't meant to be. Mm. Yeah, no, I think uh I think she couldn't be in the sequel because at that point she was doing married with children. How, okay, how old is she, do you think they're supposed to be? Because they're in school, right? They're in high school. I think they're supposed. I think it's mentioned at some point that he's seventeen. Yeah, he's seventeen. She's probably seventeen, right? Yeah, or sixteen, maybe. Yeah. Okay. Not too young for Jerry Dandridge to be interested in her. <laughs> nope. <laughs> well, I don't expect a vampire to have, you know, mortal scruples. Right. And no, he definitely scruples. he doesn't have any sexual ethics. And um at, and and it's also insinuated that she is like she resembles his long lost love or she is his reincarnation, I think is what Jerry thinks. And so he's bewitched by her for that reason. Okay, so we have Christianity established as fact, but now we're also putting in reincarnation. Yeah, it it all works. Does it? Sure. If you want it to. You just have to have true faith. In what? Like the cycle of rebirth of Buddhism? Like what 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 faith is the vampire holding here? You got to give faith to Tom Holland, the writer director, and just trust him. <laughs> oh, we haven't talked about Jerry's personal assistant, uh, Billy Billy Cole. What do you think of this character? I, I was really hoping he would just be like the gay code, secret gay coded roommate character, but I, I don't, I don't think that at all. Yeah, he. Film. I was I'm, kind of disappointed. <laughs> I mean, among among fans and I think some critics, there has been speculation over the years that he and Jerry are gay. In the interviews I've seen with the actors, they say they just never talked about it. Like they never they never decided that was going to be a thing or said it wasn't a thing. They just didn't think about it. Hmm. But I think there are definitely some uh, homoerotic elements I mean, there's always some sort of homoerotic element when you're talking about bro culture. Yeah, but there are there like there's a point where Jerry walks up behind Billy and like puts his arms around his neck and like lays his head on his shoulder. And like he he's trying to like in this scene, Billy Cole is protecting him. 
um, from a crucifix. So I, I think he's supposed to be like gloating that Charlie can't get to him. But it's also sensual. Like it's undeniably a, a sexual move. It's never established uh, the vampire's age, right? No. Okay, so we can just assume this man's been alive for centuries. Yeah, I think him and Billy are both like really old. Okay. Um, I'm I'm pretty sure that anybody who's been alive for centuries has probably experimented at that point. So it's it's safe to say that the vampire is probably by. Yeah, I I mean they're supposed to be like. It, it, they're supposed to be sensual, right? They're supposed to be like sexuality and and sinful desire, you know, encapsulated in a being. So yeah, I think they would be by for sure. Yes, <laughs> that's why I had canon. Yeah, more um, like a lost opportunity. But I get maybe you couldn't get away with that in the eighties. Oh, I'm sure, especially you for like a big big studio film. Like if yeah, this is like some grungy shit in the 70s that was VHS only, maybe showed in like four theaters ever in the United States. <laughs> it would definitely be written into the script. Yeah, but it's it's not here. And, and no, you're. I think you're right. I don't think it would have flew... Uh, I don't think it would have flown in the 80s. Mm-hmm. But we can definitely have age-inappropriate relationships. That is totally all right. You know, that's a... I feel like that's a frequent thing in 80s movies where like teenagers are being seduced by adults. That's not just an 80s thing. That lasted any from like the 60s to like the 90s. I don't think it was till like the 2000s when people started thinking, well, maybe we shouldn't put child grooming in our films. Yeah. So, so carefree. I, I mean, yeah, it's, you know, you know during what? you know what though you can't have a vampire love story without age and appropriate relationships right like this man's hundreds of years old at least right maybe a thousand and yep. he's he's falling for a girl that's 17 just look at the successful vampire love stories like twilight you know yeah Same girls six high school 16 and then uh what what's that vampire's name? Uh, Cullen, something. Uh, I've never I actually watched Twilight. I've just I haven't either. Years. That dude's it's supposed like, to be. That's supposed to. Be, that dude's supposed to be like two thousand years old. Robert Pattinson. Just yeah, our Pats. Yeah. <laughs> no, but uh, you you could have easily made these two characters like college students. The story wouldn't have changed at all. You could just made them slightly older. They look like their college age. Yeah, I'm sure they were in real life. I mean, that was the other thing in the 80s, right? You you always had adults playing teenagers and they were always taking off their clothes. But this was this was the 80s though where um you know, most kids that went off to college lived in dorms. They didn't live out of their parents' houses, right? No, but maybe they're going to a community college. Okay. Yeah, I don't think that's far-fetched. Hmm. Well, community college was at that point probably still not seen in like a positive light. It was like, you know, the backup college. Right. I mean, nowadays it doesn't hold that kind of stigma, but it felt like that kind of existed up until like the early 2000s. Yeah, I don't know. Anyway. Yeah. With Hey, you know, we're talking about vampire movie and we're hyper focusing on education. Yeah. Um, but let's get back to the the vampires. 
Um, so when do you think of the the Peter Vincent storyline overall? Like the idea that they're going to seek out this horror actor slash TV host. I think it's incredible how accessible this man was. Like literally just ambushed this guy in the parking lot. That was more believable than the other one somehow having his address and showing up at his apartment and he lets them in. What was what did what did she say to get in the door? She said something. She said that her boyfriend's life was in danger. Like she told him what was going on. At what point did she talk about money being involved after she was in the apartment? Right. Yeah. I don't know, you know, in, in back then it was a lot easier to find people in the phone book, like disgustingly easier, unless you like specifically, you know, filed the proper paperwork to have yourself removed from from those kinds of public databases. Maybe that's how they found it. I mean, it's it's hard to tell, right? Like his apartment seems old and kind of run down. Um the suggestion is he works for like a local TV station because the studio is is like within a drive. So I think it's like a public access type thing. But he's also like a, a somewhat well-known, I guess, actor. Like he's been in um, vampire movies that they still show on TV. So it's a little bit ambivalent, like how much of a celebrity he really is. But yeah, once you get over the suspension of disbelief that like he's so accessible, I like the storyline. I think it works. It's okay. It, I don't think the issue here is with like the general story. I mean, it's mostly by the numbers as far as what happens to the characters. But I don't know. It's like the little details bother me. Like what? Like the the way his friends act. There's, I think there's way too much time spent with the main character. Like, I wish Evil was in it more. more I do wish Evil was in it more, yeah. Yeah. I do. I think the girlfriend feels like a placeholder almost. Feels like she doesn't really get enough time to shine. Yeah, in the sequel, um, Evil Ed has a much, much... Or in the remake, I mean, Evil Ed has a much bigger role. I even wish they kind of like went more in on like the vampire's story because really he's just there to be like big bag boogeyman. There, there is, there is a thing there. The, the most interesting scene of this movie to me was, uh, the, I think the second time the vampire interacted with, uh, with our main character, um, when he's staying up late in his room, making sure the vampire doesn't come over and like eat his mom in the middle of the night. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. So vampire sneaks up behind him, hope, you know, gets him in like a chokehold, puts him against the wall. And he has this line that I thought was really interesting. The vampire is like, listen, I'm going to give you something that I never had a choice to just forget about me and walk away. And I really liked that line because I thought it was going to go into some deeper like relationship with this man and his vampirism. Like maybe he was turned against his will and he's kind of just acting out this behavior because that is his, the nature that was forced upon him or, but, or like he was he, born a vampire or he was born a vampire. Yeah. But, uh, the movie doesn't go anywhere with it after that point. And of course the dumbass fucking kid, like just stabs him with a pencil. <laughs> yeah. Why does that like, because it's, it's, so it's a steak. It's a steak. Oh, it's a wooden steak. Yeah. All right. 
Yeah. I hadn't thought of it that way. <laughs> yeah, apparently any wood going into any part of this vampire's body is poison. So if I understand like the physics right, if a vampire is hurt or if a vampire is like getting ready to prey on somebody, they transform into like a bat-like creature and then they turn back into like a normal looking person. In the Fright Night universe, it appears that is the that is the status quo that you must be in beast form before we fuck people up. What did you think of uh we talked about Amy's beast form. What did you think of Evil Ed's when he turns into like the the werewolf looking thing? I wasn't as big a fan of that. I think that was the the least that was the least favorite of the practical effects for me. I do like the the full blown bat form that he turns into. And in the end, when he's doing that like very extra death scene where he's getting like burst into flames by the sun and you have like the giant bat skeleton writhing against the wall. I think all that stuff is great. No, I think that's awesome. It looks incredible. Like the special effects in that scene are so cool when he dissolves into like the, the monster bat skeleton, but the, the regular vampire form, eh, whatever. Yeah, I agree. But I think it, I think it looks pretty good when evil Ed is like, morphing in and out of his monster form when he's been stabbed to the stomach. I um that's the best part of the film. I feel like the reason we don't see him turn into a wolf is because they're like fuck man, we only have enough budget to do one transformation scene. So, we know the one we're going to pick. Yeah, they I think they they knew their limitations and I also think it works. If you show some stuff you don't have to show everything. I mean, it's not as bad as um, like I watched an episode of Columbo recently and the beginning has one character shoot another character, but the scene switches right before the guy pulls the trigger, probably because they couldn't figure out a way to make the shooting look convincing. <laughs> so sometimes, sometimes that happens. Yeah. But the transformation from wolf back to human form is so well done. Yeah, it's it's really good. Like, I did your documentary go into how long it took to film that process? Yeah, it was like, uh, I mean, the makeup alone, the the actors were in the makeup chair for like twenty hours. Yeah, it it was a very that was um they definitely go into depth in that in the documentary about how those special effects were done. It it was very elaborate. If if you haven't seen this movie, if you're somehow worse than me and have not seen this movie, basically you see uh, a very gradual return to human form from being a wolf. It's so weird though, like because he turns into a, an actual like wolf dog, right? Yeah, it's stabbed with a stake, and then he crawls pitifully into a to to the to put his back against the wall. And then kind of goes into like a, it looks like a werewolf form and then back to human. But the gradual process, you can just tell they like, they shot a few, a few scenes or no, they, they made a few shots 
And then they changed the makeup, made a few shots, changed the makeup, made a few shots, changed the makeup, and did it so gradually over what had to be a ridiculously long time. Yeah. For an end product that really delivers. No, they even they got the the hands to like form into human hands by doing it in reverse, right? They like built a hand with a skeletal hand inside, and then they dissolved it with acid. And then they reversed the shot so it looked like the flesh was growing. I We skipped over it a little bit, but I want to go back to there was a scene where Charlie is like finally convinced for certain that Jerry is a vampire. It's when he looks next door late at night and Charlie or and Jerry is with um, the woman who he's like about to bite her neck. You know the scene I'm talking about? Yes. I, I think it's incredibly done. Like it, it, they they make it so it seems as if Charlie is facing Jerry dead on, but he can't be because Jerry would see him. So th- there's like there's a way in which they almost make eye contact, but they're not actually making eye contact, and it's really effective. But one thing I don't like about that scene, and I went back and forth on throughout the movie is I think the musical score is incredibly dated and cheesy. I'm going to have to take your word for it because I don't remember any of the music, which probably uh, cements your point. It's like it's like moody synthesizer with like sad, moody sax in places um, and some electric guitar, I think. But it's it's just very moody. It's very 80s dramatic. But whatever, I, I don't hate it. It's it doesn't really get in the way of the movie. It's just it's it's a very dated score, I think. Hey, going back to uh to the vampire's probably gay thrall partner. Yeah. What the fuck is he supposed to be? I I think he's I think he's like a Renfield. Like I think he's like a vampire familiar. Okay, so I haven't seen Renfield. But like in the Bram Stoker novel. Oh, right, right, right. Um, so he, he's not like a human familiar, though. He he has like something else going on. Yeah, I think he has like he's not a vampire because when he eventually does die, he fucking turns into goop <laughs> and then somehow dry bones. I don't know how that works. I think it's just an excuse to to show a special effect of someone turning into goop. Mm. This man gets shot in the brain and then just gets up and isn't dead yet. And he takes a few more bullets to put him down. Well, I think he's like undead. I, I think he's I think he's already dead. I think he's like a zombie. So he's just like a like a walking preserved corpse. Like yeah, I think so. Body. Is that where we're going with? I think like without Jerry's magic, he would be long dead. But Jerry's magic like keeps him alive, keeps him animated. And then suddenly the magic failed because of bullets. Yeah, he just got shot too many times. Mm. It's I, like guess in... vamp- I guess vampire blood magic would have its limits, right? Yeah. What else? What else do we need to talk about? I feel like we've hit most everything. Actually, you asked me like what details bothered me. The fucking police lieutenant scene bothered me. <laughs> and that entire thing. 
Why like, did it bother I realized, you? I realized this is supposed to be a dumb fucking kid. Yeah. There's no way you would just be like, but officer, there's a vampire that lives here. Like, you wouldn't do that. Especially him, because he's like, well, well, boring and well-adjusted from like a, from a glance, right? I don't buy it. Like, I could see evil dropping some shit like that. Like, of course he's a vampire. What are you going to do about it? But this guy? No. I don't know. I, I like bought straight, it. This is like a straight B student. Like, he, he ain't going to do any shit, any shit like that. I don't know. I believed it. I bought it. No, I nope. Nope. I wallet stayed in my pocket. Didn't buy it. And and I and I really like the actor who plays the lieutenant. His name is Art Evans, and he's kind of a character actor. Like you see him in bit parts and tons of things. Um, but I just think he brings a lot of character to that part. And like maybe maybe it would be different in a small town, but there's no way a lieutenant would just like show up to some shit like this. Well, this is like a serial killer. There's been multiple people murdered. Yeah, they would have the lieutenant like investigating serious uh, inquiries, possibly like performing an investigation. They would send some like regular ass beat cop out here to tell the kid the fuck off. I, I did think like one, I thought that more than one cop would show up. And two, I didn't think it would be the lieutenant. But anyway, I like anything about this scene. I'm okay with it. I'll, I'll give the movie that much like artistic license. It, it, I think the scene works, even if it's not believable. Did you find Evil's uh, conversion to vampirism like satisfactory? I think that it could have been built up more that he really was like this different alienated kid that like that that vampirism would be like actually actually attractive to him like i think that could have been built up more but otherwise i think it's fine i'm okay with it were you unsatisfied yeah but i guess it's more because his character wasn't fleshed out like we didn't have time to really savor his decision because he his character is essentially an archetype yeah i mean i think you have to like and you can see this. In fact, let me look. Let me look real quick. I'm wondering how long the sequel is compared to this one. Because now... The remake? Yeah, the remake. Nowadays, like, standard movie length is like two and a half hours, right? It seems like everything is like two and a half hours. And you have all this time to, like, build up characters. But I feel like then you really didn't because movies were shorter. I yawned in the middle of saying that, so I'm going to say this now. You mean the remake? Like, yeah, yeah the remake. Um, the remake. <laughs> actually, actually I, I'm totally wrong because they're both exactly the same length. Really? Yep, they're both an hour and 46 minutes. Damn. So, but nope, this, the, the remake definitely fleshes out Evil's character more, but he's played by fucking McLovin. All right, that's cool. <laughs> Does that work for you? Yes, that does work for me. I don't know. This it's movie and how is this movie almost two hours long? There's a lot that happens. I mean, they give a lot of time to special effects and action sequences at the end, right? I think that takes up like a lot of time, but it flies by because it's cool. There is a lot of time in the finale. Okay, so we would say what the the climax starts uh, with 
evil becoming a were a wolf, right? Yeah, yeah, probably about there. So that means like the whole last, I don't know, out like half hour is just one long vampire hunt scene. Which I'm totally okay with. Like I understand the characters are really archetypal, and I understand that we don't get a lot of time with evil ed in particular but um i think the characters are likable i think you get to spend enough of time with them that you get attached to them i think you genuinely want them to succeed and so like the plot is set up well enough that the last like 30 minutes are just excitement to me like it totally works uh, i don't i'm i'm coming from a more cynical mindset i suppose i did not really care about the main characters but i also didn't feel like they were really in danger at any point yeah like, I mean, as soon, I, as soon as Peter Vincent says, oh, but if we kill the main vampire by midnight, she'll be cured or whatever. Then I'm like, OK, well, that's what's going to happen. Like, yeah, it's like watching a Marvel film. Like, you know how it's going to end. Oh, it's it's definitely predictable, but that that didn't really bother me. Oh, well, I guess the last thing to talk about would be the finale. Right. They've been they fight in this guy's mansion. Well, it's not a mansion. It's more of a... Why does this house look so much fancier? It's the same neighborhood. It's right next door. I know, but it's got like this beautiful antique giant circular stained glass window that like makes a great set piece behind him. Like it's really cool looking inside. I'm sure the inside of that house doesn't actually look like that. Oh, no, not at all as a studio. But like, you know, within the universe of Fright Night, like how do you get such a like gorgeous fucking historical house next to, you know, regular ass white bread, like eighties, eighties architecture next door. I, I will say, I mean, you don't see this as much in Florida, but in places like Virginia, where I live, you've got very old houses, like built in the early 1900s, right next to new houses, because the neighborhoods have a lot of history, but there's also a lot of new development. So I, I could see it being a situation like that, where you've got a neighborhood that's composed of a mix of old and new houses. But they end up fighting in the house, you know, uh, you know, Golem partner takes a dive after getting shot. They end up chasing the vampire into the basement right is it the basement or the yeah attic? the basement yeah 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 and uh if they start breaking out windows because the sun's rising you know it's kind of unbelievable is that the vampire loses track of time and doesn't realize the sun is rising well i don't think he really loses track of time because he he goes to his coffin right like he gets after in he his gets, coffin after he gets bopped by by sunlight like a very like the very first ray of sunrise comes through a broken window it hits him in the shoulder and it hits him like a bully he's like oh sunlight and then he he flees to the basement where he tries to hide in his coffin as if like if he gets in the coffin they can't get to him like come on like <laughs> what are you doing man i think peter vincent says it's locked from the inside at some point uh, yeah so just set it on fire or something just burn the whole house down a anyway so then they managed to get him out of his coffin they stake him in the shoulder with a giant fucking stake like this thing is huge and uh they kind of like fight in the basement while windows are getting busted out and he gets sun blasted into oblivion 
while that's going on, his girlfriend's converted to the full giant mouth vampire form. But, you know, somehow, you know, I don't know how she did it. She manages to hide in a place where she doesn't get blasted by the sun. How's that work? I don't know. Is she? I don't even remember. Are they in the same room together? Yep. They're all in the same basement. I don't know. Maybe it doesn't affect her as badly. Nope. She's like hiding under a table or something. Well, one thing that like your description just now made me think of is, and a lot of 80s movies are like this, but it's like a whole lot happens in a single day. Like, I think this movie only takes place over like three days, but it feels like it should be like a month. (laughs) Yeah, that sounds about right. Like, there's just so much that happens. And so it. Like, I didn't even think of of Jerry Dandridge losing track of time because I was like, of course it's almost out of nighttime. A million things have happened this night. You know, and they make a, a big deal of showing in the full year the, of, the, of the vampire's, like, living room that he has a ton of clocks hanging on the wall. Yep. I loved that, actually. I thought it was really cool. Where were those clocks when he needed them? They should have been going off. He had a lot going on that night. He was very distracted. He had to... We should have got a single cuckoo. Not a single cuckoo happened. He had to... He was busy seducing Amy. The the cuckoo clocks were drowned out by the moodful sacks. Hmm. Uh, I guess if we didn't really talk about the seduction, huh? No, we didn't, but... um. I, I think it's fair to say that Jerry got there first. They they don't fuck. Oh, I thought they did. No. I just assumed they did. No, it was just a bite. That was it. Why don't you think they fucked? Well, for one, he never took his pants off. Well, we don't see it, but the yeah, scene ends. He has his pants on. The scene ends, right? And and then he, bite, he bites her. Right. Is her on the floor and then walks out. Well, you think he came back and fucked her? I just assumed that we didn't that it, it cut away for that part, but that it happened. Nah, because because we see her later like lying on the blankets, right? And I'm like, uh, well, they must have had sex, dude. I don't even think vampires have sex. Like they have no blood in their body. What's what's going to maintain their erection? The same magic that keeps Billy alive. Nah, that's I'm skeptical. I definitely think vampires have sex. For one thing, I think if they have sex with another vampire, they reproduce a baby vampire. Oh, God, then that's shit again. <laughs> e- either way, I don't think they that that, that actually happens Like in, in the scope of the film. Like, not the people, also the baby vampire shit. But <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't think that there's any actual like sexual activity that, that occurs between those two. Maybe he would wait for her to turn into a vampire before pursuing that line of engagement. And I, I mean, also think of it like this way, right? Pe- people are food, right? People are food. When's the last time you wanted to like fuck a chicken breast? I think from from the days of Bram Stoker and the, like early Dracula, right? I think the the vampire bite has always been an allegory for sex. Like it's always allegory. been sure yeah. allegory, it, it's, but it's, it's not the actual thing. 
but what I'm getting at is that the, the vampire is inherently sexual. Like he's got a sex appeal unless you're watching fucking Nosferatu. Like <laughs> the vampire has sex appeal. It's part of the vampire character. So I definitely think vampires have sex. It's not just like, you know, being physically attractive. It's more of like they have a power over food to, to kind of make them stunned like a deer in the headlights. I don't know, because we we never see, except for Evil Ed, arguably, we never see Jerry prey on a man, only women. Well, I mean, my first response is because that's gay, right? But <laughs> Which totally, proves my point. But he's totally gay with the... No, we've already established he's gay with his dead zombie roommate. His reanimated zombie roommate. There's no scruples there. We we concluded earlier that he was bi. I don't know why we're back to this question <laughs> of his sex now. <laughs> oh no, I I actually I don't think it happens even off camera. But y yeah, I totally agree that the whole feeding thing is supposed to be very sensual especially to to monster fuckers who are really into the stuff but that an allegory is not the same as the real thing did you think uh their dance in the nightclub was sexy no <laughs> oh i did <laughs> i mean it was okay i guess i mean yeah. i i didn't think she was going to like whip whip his vampire dick out on the dance floor or anything uh i thought it was sexy if if i was uh if I was single, I well, she immediately brought him, brought her back up, because because you know, he's a vampire. He can't maintain an erection because he has no blood in his body. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm just trying to seduce you so I could eat you. I don't, I don't need any of that. Thank you. It vampire <laughs> magic. They mm -hmm. definitely have erections. This is definitely one of those horror movies where the the ramifications of like horrible acts just never get realized on camera. Like two men die in this nightclub, right? Like yep. he turns into a vampire in front of hundreds of witnesses um, and kills two men. And we never hear about it again. No, that was the 80s. You just gotta, you just gotta accept it. Uh, you know, okay, I could maybe throw... An eye or an eyewitness or two a bone and be like, okay, they're probably really high on club drugs and they probably don't actually believe what they saw because they're high as balls. But two two men were murdered. Also, how you're a fucking vampire, right? You kill people on a daily basis for food, just about. How are you not better at getting rid of corpses? I mean, he can't be that bad at it because he gets away with it. Yeah, but people find the bodies. Well, how? what would you do to, to make them disappear? It's the 80s. You could do anything because you're not like a mass surveillance state at this point. No, but I mean, all right, so I'm just thinking, <laughs> like, you, you've got to do your seduction, your killing, your feeding, and disposal of the body all within a single night. Right. Because you can't you can't stretch this across multiple nights. Then the the body's going to get ripe and you've got to go to sleep. So the, the only thing they really have time to do is dump it somewhere like this man. 
has money, right? He just bought a giant ass house. He has all his fancy furniture and shit, right? You telling me he can't afford a large freezer to put some bodies in and then, I don't know, maybe turn into a dog form or feed him to evil or something like that? I don't know. I, I think that uh I think that it works. He just dumps some and it, so far he's lived like four hundred years or however long and gotten away with it. That's so. probably why he had to move to, to next door. His shit was getting too hot where he lived previously. Yeah, I would imagine you would have to move around quite a bit. Well, when you're that bad at disposing of your murdered, you know, food, it, yeah, you'd have to. You have to relocate. Maybe he just hasn't kept up with the times. Like, you're looking at this through the lens of, like, the modern police state. It, it was just so much easier to get away with murder in the 70s and the 80s. Yeah. <laughs> bury them in the woods. All right, let's give final thoughts and a rating out of four. I'm glad I finally got around to watching this. Um, you know, as I said earlier, I'm very familiar with the box art. I saw it all the time when I was in video stores growing up, but I just never got around to, to watching this. I didn't expect it to be like um, a horror comedy. and uh, It's not a genre I'm a huge fan of, but it all came together okay. Uh this is this is like a very by the numbers screenplay, which is something I've grown accustomed to straying away from, especially since uh you know we've been watching all of this very non-traditional stuff for this show. Uh I, I think really the main draw of this movie, if if you're gonna ignore if you're gonna ignore things that you can possibly have nostalgia goggles about, then I think the main draw here are the practical effects I think are incredible for the most part, um, even at their worst, which is uh, when the vampire goes into his like pseudo bat form. It's still uh, remarkably better than a lot of the CGI stuff you see today. More believable, at least, even if it doesn't look that great. I still it, it, at worst, Right. Like if you've never seen this film, you have no interest in watching something from the 80s, man, just pull up that werewolf scene or is it still a werewolf if you, if you turn into a regular ass wolf? I think we can call it a werewolf. You call it a werewolf like you don't have to be humanoid. No, I don't no. think so. OK, well, so when you have the werewolf, you know, reverting back to evil's human form, that's special effects. If you're gonna if you're gonna watch nothing else from this film, just watch that was like two minutes. Absolutely absolutely great. And I think that's the thing I'm gonna really remember the most about Friday Night. I, I do like the pacing. I just wish there was a little bit more focus on the characters and areas I wanted. I wish the vampire was like a little bit more complex. Maybe that's just unrealistic. I'm looking at this from like a 40-year-old movie. I'm like wanting some fucking nuance that's that's probably unreasonable. I realize that. I'm sorry. I'm a creature of my desires. Uh, but I mean, again, there's that one throwaway line. I'm, I'm giving you a something I never had, a choice. And I was like, oh, this is going to like blossom into some great tree. And then it just it never happened. Or, you know, he came out of a fucking vampire womb. Do we have to watch Fright Night 2 now? No. No, it's not good. It's um, it's decent. Like, I, I don't remember it real well, but I remember like it's entertaining. It's enjoyable. The characters are back for the most part. Um, 
but it's not as good as this one. And I remember it being kind of a mess. Like, I remember there being stretches of the film where it was kind of confusing what was going on. Oh. Do you think Vampire Baby's Nurse? On Blood. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Hmm. So I don't know why vampire females have boobs. Right. I guess to seduce men. Yeah, that's it, that. That's, that's the reason why uh, any of the vampires are attractive. It's easier... It's easier to convince people to do sh dumb shit when you got them distracted with your good looks. And of sure. course, it also, you know, you got like the vampire fuck eyes. Like you just kind of like lock them in place and the person's like bewildered. Yeah, I think this movie right. does that really well. Yeah. I mean, a lot of vampire movies do that well. Yeah. It's like, you know, this guy is like a piece of shit. You know, he's a villain, but then they lock the eyes and you're charmed. You fail your will save. You're done. Anyway, I I don't really hold this movie in, in super high esteem because I, I don't have the nostalgia tent. Um, that said, this is this is probably like a if you don't have that kind of uh, like reverence for Fright Night. This is kind of like a an okay two star film, in my in my opinion. It's it's heavily carried by special effects for me, and the last like thirty minutes is just like nonstop vampire hunt. That is that is the atlas that is lifting this fucking globe. Like what works for me that I guess doesn't work for Leland is really the characters. Um, I do think Charlie Brewster is kind of a boring, like generic main character. But um, in some ways, when you've got all of the stuff surrounding him, I think it's OK that he's kind of generic. Um, I think Evil Ed is a really cool character who's really well acted. Like I love um, the performance. Uh, Amy is fine. Um but I, I do want them to like get together and succeed and survive and all of that. And I think Peter Vincent is a really cool character and um, that uh, Roddy McDowell does a good job with the role. Um, I think all the acting in this movie is good. And I think the special effects are amazing. Um, I, I think parts of it are outdated. It's a little cheesy at times. Um, I, I can see how one might have find the characters too archetypal or two-dimensional but that's true of so many 80s horror movies like i feel like it's just part of the genre like i think there are certain um plot strands or arcs or uh character traits that became ubiquitous in the 80s and they're just kind of part of the the fabric of the 80s landscape right like if you're going to see 80s movies, you should expect a certain number of things. And like Fright Night does all of that stuff really well, I think. It, it might be stereotypical, it might be generic, but it's really well done. And I think at the end of the day, the movie is just really entertaining. Um, and I think there's a lot of rewatch value. Like um, I've seen it plenty of times and I'm, I'm still entertained by it. So uh, not a perfect movie, um, but I think it's a really good 80s horror movie i'm gonna give it three and a half wow i will say this movie did not really fit our theme no i i, th I thought it was uh it was a stretch but yeah let's um let's consult the magic eight ball and see what our new topic is going to be
Your three categories for this session are alternate realities or dimensions, unforgettable satanic animals, or hypnotism. Let's do hypnotism. I can work with hypnotism. All right, hypnotism. And do you want to delete either of the other two? Uh, no, we can keep them. Okay. All right, cool. So um, hypnotism then. I'll have to think about that. But I think I can come up with some cool ideas. All um, right. That's it for Fright Night. Uh, next week, we'll talk about some film involving hypnotism. And until then, you can follow us on Instagram at video.store.nightmares. Leland, do you have any last words? Thank you for your continued support. Beautiful. Have a good week, everyone. And we will talk to you next time about hypnotism.